This is Anarchast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Anarchast, your home for anarchy on the internet. I'm sitting in my living room of a house that I live in in Acapulco, Mexico right now, and I'm really excited to finally have on Stefan Cancela, uh, who's in Houston at the moment, and, and uh, took the time out today to speak with us. And uh, it's a real pleasure to talk with you, Stefan. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. And uh, the first question I always ask everybody is, how did you become an anarchist? You know, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the time, and roughly, but you, you, you kind of forget your, uh, your influences, right? Um, uh, I'd say in like 11th grade of high school, I was kind of apolitical, and a librarian recommended The Fountainhead to me, and Atlas Shrugged, and so I became quickly a Randian-type uh, libertarian, but hostile to libertarianism and anarchism for a couple years until I realized that she was wrong that I shouldn't read people like Rothbard, etc. So I read, you know, The Law, and then I started reading uh, Rothbard and the Tannehills and Nozick, and something between David Friedman and Robert uh, Nozick and um, uh, the Tannehills and Rothbard, probably Rothbard, made me finally give up the ghost around, let's say, 88 or so, and just realize I was an anarchist, um, which was a liberating moment. So to my mind, it's just the end result of a consistent principled libertarianism. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, so, yeah, you've been on the bandwagon for a while now. That's great. And I know you uh, spend a lot of time on areas of contract law and intellectual property stuff. And I, I believe you're a lawyer. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm a practicing attorney, intellectual property, patent attorney, but corporate law and contract law, oil and gas law, that kind of law for um around 20 years now. So I have a deep interest in, you know, legal theory and in mixing it with Austrian theory and with libertarian um, theory as well. That's great. And, and one of the uh, questions that a lot of people always ask when, they, when you get into the topic of anarchy is, how would law work? Uh, I wonder if you could give them sort of a, a few minutes on, on generally how it would work in a free market. Yeah, that's a that's a long topic. Uh, I actually gave a speech on that in Turkey at Hans Harman Hoppe's uh, Property and Freedom Society uh, a few months ago, which will be online shortly at my website. Um, and I've written uh, about legislation and law and things like this. Um, so it's it's a long topic, but kind of the long and short of it is, I believe that in any free society, you're going to get there only by some kind of natural process by which most people have some sort of uh, libertarian ethos or ethics. I mean, you're not going to have a libertarian society unless most people become libertarian. How that happens is a different question, whether it's educational or just experiential or evolutionary um, or agorist is a different question. But if we assume that we've somehow reached some roughly libertarian society, it's only because most people have become or have moved to a more libertarian point of view. And these people are all going to prefer a peaceful society to one that's full of violence and strife and fighting. They are going to be the type of people who will um, prefer to have rules about who can use what among scarce resources that people otherwise would have to fight over. This is why property rules arise in society that we have now. And in a libertarian society, uh, they would arise the same way, except I believe that the people that focused on what the rules should be would be more consistent about what they are, and they would be more sincere about looking at you know, what's really the, the just solution here. So basically law, 
I view law as a body of rules that are a practical body of rules designed to allocate the right, the legal right to use or the ownership of contestable or rivalrous scarce resources that otherwise people would have to fight over. Um, so law is just a concrete body of rules that permits human beings that want to cooperate to be able to cooperate, to get along in society, to produce peacefully and you know, productively in society. So I guess what you're, well, one question I'd like to pose uh, based on what you just said is that, um, so in order to have a, a free society, people really need to understand these concepts of, of libertarianism, is that correct? And, and if so, uh, so it, it really won't be able to happen unless you have the majority of people in that society really understand these concepts, is that, is that correct? I don't know if it has to be explicitly understood. It has to be uh, you know, ingrained in some kind of way. I think it already is, to be honest. I think the vast bulk of humans are already kind of quasi-libertarian because most people, if you ask them um, if they believe in, if they value human prosperity, if they value cooperation and uh, productivity and peace, that's just as a general matter, they would agree with that. The problem is they're economically illiterate, and they don't understand that if you have these basic values, the only way to achieve them is to have basically a free market order of peaceful, reasonable, rational property rules allocated and applied consistently. So the main problem people have is they're not consistent, and that's prim primarily because they have jobs and they're, they're farmers or they're not that educated or they're just not scholars or they're not spending their entire lives thinking about consistency. Okay. But one thing that gives me a little bit of hope, although I'm kind of a pessimist, like you perhaps are to some degree, um, is when I think about um, the attitude today compared to the attitude of 30 or 40 years ago towards central planning and communism. And although we are creeping towards it, right, we, if you ask your average, even Obama supporter, are you in favor of free enterprise, they would maybe reluctantly, they would admit yes. Um, basically, people understand on a widespread basis that command economies cannot work, that central planning and communism don't work, and that we need some free enterprise. They may want to, they may want to limit it, etc. But so the question is, and, and and if you contrast that to someone 40 years ago, you'd find a lot more utopians and idealists in the West who would be for outright socialism and communism. Now, what changed? I think what changed was the fall of Russia in 1991 or 90, whenever it was. Basically, it was a teaching moment. Now, it didn't make people more economically aware or, or literate in a theoretical sense, but it, they sort of you know, adopted the, or adapted, the, incorporated the idea. They kind of know now that central planning won't work. And so my hope is that something similar will happen over time. Um, as the free market continues to grow despite the state's attempts to suppress it, I mean, that's my hope. Um, as the internet grows, as decentralization grows, as, you know, quicksilver capital, that phenomenon continues. Uh, maybe, you know, extra planetary human societies develop. As, as something keeps happening over time, I just hope that the state recedes over and over and people gradually regard it as ridiculous. Um, as may happen, for example, with religion over time. I don't know. I mean, maybe people someday will regard, maybe only 90, only 1% of people will be religious and they'll regard the old times as the superstitious times. 
maybe something similar will happen with with the state. So that's the only uh, kind of long-term ray of hope I have is that economic literacy will happen empirically because of just seeing how the market works. Yeah, I, uh, I think that um, we actually have a, a bit of luck coming towards us because I think most of the Western nation states are in a state of collapse and, and a serious state of collapse. And the, the uh, financial monetary system is, is basically already almost dead. Uh, and that, that collapse could come as quickly as in just the next few years. So that's one of the things that I've been trying to do is try to spread this message as much as possible because the more people who understand what we're talking about here after that system collapses, the better chance we have that we can move towards a more free society. Uh, whereas, it, as it is uh, today, for the most part, if, if the, all the systems collapse, the U.S. dollar collapses, people are out in the streets, they're rioting, uh, most people will blame it on capitalism because that's what they've been kind of been told by that they lived in a, in a capitalist uh, uh, environment when it actually really isn't. It's more fascist and, and communist than, than capitalist at this point in the U.S. with all the U.S. government taxes and regulations and and uh, every, every there's over 500 federal agencies <laughs> and you know you, you, obviously you, in capitalism you don't even have a central bank that's not a part of capitalism that's actually more something that uh, communism uh, does yeah absolutely i'm 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 not that sanguine about the prospects of the rebirth of some kind of society if there is a collapse like that because i don't think the economic literacy is there yet so i think it could be even worse um Although there will be opportunities and pockets for some maybe successful areas to emerge, I don't know. Uh, so I would, I would prefer it to happen gradually and evolutionarily over time so that there's time for people to... Uh, I mean, you can't have this Marxian uh, utopianism hoping for new Marxist man or new communist man, new libertarian man. You can't expect human nature to change, and I don't think it will change uh, until we reach some kind of weird AI or singularity stage which I'm also skeptical of, but, um, but I do believe that people can learn over time. And, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, if you think about Europe, all the students that have been urailing or interrailing with each other for 20, 30 years now, 40 years now, um, it's probably more unthinkable to them to, you know, for Germans to bomb the French and the English because they have friends. They've been going to college with each other. You know, they're, they're, um, and I think the Internet's providing a similar phenomenon, and so does the sort of internationalization of commerce and trade and students traveling around and people commuting all over the world and traveling. Uh, hopefully over time, the idea of war, the idea of nationalities and nationalism will just become more and more you know, ridiculous to people and recede into the background as sort of a minor thing. So that's my only hope. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen if we have the kind of collapse that some people are predicting. Um, yeah, yeah, no one knows, and that, that's why it's going to be so interesting and, and possibly quite dangerous. And, and for people who aren't preparing for a lot of these things, I really suggest you, you start looking into some of these things. Uh, get some of your assets into precious metals. Uh, if you're going to live in the U.S., store some food in your house. Um, get a gun. Uh, if you can, get out of the out of the West completely, because that's going to be the real epicenter of the collapse, in my opinion. I think it'll come in the next five to ten years. So, And it could come as quickly as a couple of years. So you really got to start uh, getting your ducks in order. Um, but this would be uh, totally remiss if I have uh, Stefan Kinsella on Anarchast and we don't talk about intellectual property. Uh, you're one of the top uh, 
uh, mind uh, set people of uh, intellectual property. You're, you've written a lot about it. You talk a lot about it. Um, why don't you, uh, for, for someone who's sort of new to intellectual property and, and, uh, or even anarchism, uh, why don't you sort of lay out a general view of your thoughts on intellectual, intellectual property? Okay, that's a, that's a good question, um, and I'll kind of go back to your previous question about law too because it ties into that. Um, there's a couple of things here. It's the question of what law is and how law should be made, and I mentioned earlier that law is a set of rules that are designed to allocate control of scarce resources to certain designated owners so as to avoid conflict and to permit the productive use of those resources in society. Um, now. In a sense, all legal systems believe in property rights in this sense because in every legal system, whether it's communist or fascist or welfare state or, or what have you, communitarian, uh, kibbutz, uh, mixed economy, laissez-faire capitalism, whatever, there, in, in any given system, there's always an answer to the question of who has the legal right to control this resource. Whether the answer is this federal agency, or whether it's this tribe, or whether it's this recipient of welfare gets to control the money that's given to them, or whether it's whoever. The libertarian answer, which is different from all others, is that the answer to that question is basically the Lockean question. is The owner of a given resource is whoever was the first one to use it or someone he's transferred it to contractually. That's basically libertarianism. It's Lockean homesteading of unowned resources uh, plus contract, okay, and plus a few other subsidiary rules like um, if you commit a tort or a crime, then you could lose property rights in that way too because in favor of the victim. So, but you perform some action as an owner to acquire ownership or to transfer ownership to someone, whether that's contract or a tort or a crime. So law is just the concrete body of rules that kind of systematizes um, this body of rules that people have developed in society. Um, now the question is, how do, where does law come from? And it comes from this desire of humans to get along cooperatively and peacefully, and there's no reason that these body of rules can't emerge in a way organically, you could say spontaneously, although I'm not a fan of that Hayekian term, but without central control, and crucially without legislation. Nowadays, everyone thinks of law as being whatever the government says it is. So it's sort of a statist or pro-state view combined with what's called legal positivism. So in other words, the idea that everyone is used to now is that the law is what's written down in a book and that was decreed or passed or enacted by a, quote, you know, legitimate legislature of a government. So that is what everyone is used to now, even a lot of libertarians. So, for example, the income tax protesters, they'll say that in the U.S. the income tax is not really mandatory because it's not, quote, a law. And when they say it's not a law, they're talking about what the positive law is, what legal rules the government is enforcing by force. And if you say, well, it is a law because if you don't pay your income tax, you will go to jail, like Irwin Schiff is in jail now. And that's what law means. Law is the, the, the rules that are enforced with the force of law. Uh, and they'll say, well, show me the law. And they want you to point to a statute that shows in clear black and white English that it says if you don't pay income tax, you're going to go to jail. Now, if you're a sophisticated attorney, 
you can actually do this because there are income tax codes and laws that end up showing that y you will go to jail. But the point is, even if you couldn't do that, it's still that's the way the courts interpret it, and the courts are going to put you in jail if you don't do it. And the insistence on show me the law in a written the law books they call it like like Hicks really, uh, or like you know, uh, like Rubes. Is, is a legal positivist mentality of thinking of law as what the legislature decrees. Instead, we need as libertarians and as free men to think of law as being this body of law, the body of rules that are the just way to allocate property rights. And then we can contrast that with the, the body of legal rules that the government in a given area actually enforces. And we can say, here's an ideal system of law. And here's what the real system of law is. And to the extent the real system of law deviates, that's why it's unjust. So unlike, say, liberals, modern American liberals, who are basically legal positivists, and they have no standard of rights outside of themselves, which is why they retreat to what the courts say. In a way, they actually are almost self-contradictory when they criticize, let's say, the, the Roe versus Wade decision. Well, I say they uphold that one. But they, if they criticize a Supreme Court decision, what, and on what basis are they criticizing it? Or let's say they disagree with the Second Amendment of the Constitution. How can they disagree with it? Because there's no higher standard of law in their minds to c compare it to. They don't really believe in natural law. They are basically legal positivists. But the conservative types, the libertarian types even, to some degree, in my view, are also legal positivists in, in, in a further level removed because they do say they believe in some kind of natural law, that is, a, a higher law, than even the Constitution. So, for example, if the Constitution permits taxation or conscription, then they would say, to hell with the Constitution. It is immoral and wrong because it violates what we would call libertarian law. Well, where does that come from? Well, opinions differ on this, but most would say, well, there's a higher law source. But when you just push the level back and you look for another source, so, you know, your modern liberal would say the source of law is a legislature. Well, the religious conservatives say, no, the source of law is God or the, or the structure of nature. Well, they're both looking for a source of law, and when they do that, in my opinion, they're confusing the nature of law and the nature of norms and moral reasoning with the physical world. And this is a mistake that's been going on for a century or two now, and what, it's what Hayek and Mises call scientism. Okay, So scientism is the mistake of trying to treat every phenomena that we study under the rubric of the natural sciences, which is you have to formulate some kind of causal law that's testable or at least falsifiable, then go do repeatable experiments and see if you falsify it. So then all your knowledge is continually evolving, but it's always um, uh, evolutionary. This is what, hi, uh, what Milton Friedman did with his positivist, positivist view of economics where he would view the say the law of supply and demand or the minimum wage you know the idea that minimum wages causes unemployment or the idea that inflating the money supply causes prices to go up he would call those contingent laws that we have to test by experiment this is what this is what has led to the modern day empiricism and econometrics and the morass that economics has gone into whereas the Misesians would say that no we can know for sure that if you increase the money supply, everything else being equal, it will tend to cause prices to go up. You can know this a priori without having to study it. Um, so going to, onto a little tangent here, but my point is 
if you want to understand what law is, you need a clear separation in your mind between laws that are designed to govern human behavior, which is called teleology, right, or norms, rules, and laws of physics. So, for example, if you and I in a community agrees that it is impermissible or wrong for someone to commit a certain act of theft or a certain act of murder or rape, now, we're not saying that's a physical causal law. We don't need to do a test to see if we're right about that. In fact, we can't do a test about it. I mean, what are you going to do? Let a bunch of guys lo loose and rape some, rape some women and see, see what? See if God strikes you dead? I mean, it's just not an experiment. It's a moral view that is based upon your fundamental moral feelings. So that is what law is. Now, on to anarchy. So in my opinion, the proper libertarian view on law, whether you're a minarchist or an anarchist, is to be opposed to legislation as a means of making law. Law comes from a decentralized, like a bunch of judges or private arbitrators or whatever, over time, trying to apply these basic precepts of justice to concrete disputes among people, and over time a body of rules develops. So the libertarian, even if you're not an anarchist, ought to oppose at least in most cases, the use of a legislation as, as what causes law to emerge. So that's why we need to stop equating law with what the current legislature has decreed. Number two, so it, on that ground alone, if you're opposed to legislation, you would be opposed to patent and copyright because both are purely artificial legislated schemes, no different really than you know um, the Social Security Act or Obamacare or the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, or whatever ar arbitrary, artificial, legislated scheme you want to think of that is clearly unlibertarian. Um, now, if you're an anarchist, that's another reason to oppose intellectual property because you would never support a legislature because that's an arm of the government or the state, and leg patent and copyright can only come about through legislation, which is an arm of the state. So if you're against legislation or if you're against the state, you have to be against patent and copyright right off the bat. But the case against patent and copyright, which are the primary two most evil and uh, destructive forms of, of intellectual property, um, doesn't rest upon being opposed to legislation or against the state, although those are, are really strong supporting arguments. Even if you think legislation is one way to help make law, even if you're not an anarchist, you're just a minarchist or a limited government type, the case against IP is primarily that IP represents a rule by the government that gives the holder of this so-called property right, the patent or the copyright, gives them the right to go to a government court and use physical force of the state goons against someone else who is not committed an act of trespass against you. That's the fundamental problem with it. So, for example, if I have a patent on a new mousetrap design, I can get the government to use force against someone else selling a mousetrap that I think is too similar to mine and make them stop making that. So I'm using force to tell them you can't use your body in this way. You can't use your own property in this way. It's the same thing with copyright, with copying a song or a movie or a design or whatever. In all of these cases, the government has given to the IP holder what I call a negative servitude in legal terminology. It's, it's a legal right to, 
to veto someone else's use of their own property. So I can go and tell you, Jeff, you are not permitted to use your mouth or your hands or your printing press or your factory in the following way. And if you do it, I'm going to put you in jail or take millions of dollars from your bank account with, under the threat of force from these state goons that are in my pocket. That's the fundamental problem. And the, fun, and the, the typical response of the IP proponent is that is what? Is well, property rights are not absolute. And I'm like, really? Seriously? Is this your argument that you were willing to invade my property rights because property rights aren't absolute? I mean, by that argument, you could you could condone anything. I mean, you could have some guy raping a girl and say, quit complaining, after all, property rights aren't absolute. I mean, just because property rights aren't absolute, which I don't even think has a meaning, to be my, uh, be honest. This is just the the claim of a looter. Uh, anyone who says property rights, property rights aren't absolute, uh, hold on to your wallet because they're coming after it. Right? Um, so, the fundamental problem with IP, so let me, let me go into one other thing. Most advocates of IP say that we there's a utilitarian basis for it. That is, the government should come in, tweak the rules of property so that innovation or creation is incentivized by the lure of monopoly profits, profits that you can charge with this monopoly that the government gives you um, so that we get more creation out of it. So the government's going to come in and grant these rights, which amount to taking property rights of other people. And the theory is that it's going to incentivize a lot more artistic and inventive creation than otherwise. Um, but the fundamental problem with – well, there's so many problems with that line of reasoning. Number one, that's not how we make decisions about what's just and right and wrong and unjust. We don't sit there and say, let's have a government that's going to twiddle property rules from day to day to try to maximize some arbitrary goal that they just came up with. Um, but even if you go along with that, um, and even if you omit the Austrian problem that you cannot add and subtract values, in other words, you can't sum up these values in society. So if a patent law hurts me but hurts him, well, how do we know if there's a net value to society? And even if there is a net value to society, why does it justify the harm to me? How am I ever made whole? So there's these problems. But the fundamental problem is they claim that they believe in this utilitarian logic. They claim to know that the patent and the copyright system create this net wealth, but they have no evidence for it. None. I mean none. And when you ask them, they just say, well, it's obvious or something like that. And all the studies that come out keep concluding that we can't figure this out or we can't prove it or it seems like from all the data we have that the patent and the copyright system actually impose huge distortive and net economic loss on society. This, in addition to the loss of freedom, people going to jail, the government using copyright to impose censorship and controls on the internet, imposing internet controls and loss of freedom through SOPA and PIPA controls and upcoming treaties and things like this. So these are basically completely terrible, tyrannical laws rooted in protectionism, mercantilism, and censorship that the government uses to ratchet up controls of the internet, uh, taking away civil liberties, and reducing economic gains for everyone, and entrenching monopolies, oligopolies, reducing competition. Uh, it's just 
one of the worst institutions in society. I've ranked these things. I think it's about number six. It's under the Fed, war, taxation, government schooling, a couple things like that, and the drug war. But other than those, it's about the worst thing in society. And unlike those top five things, which libertarians all see as evil, libertarians have been deluded into believing that this number six top bad thing that we have in society is one of the best is, is actually a legitimate type of capitalism or free markets. Just because the government has used propaganda and called it intellectual property when it didn't used to be called that. In fact, you know, these things originated in laws called the statute of monopolies. The government used to be honest in describing these these things, but now they've they resorted to propaganda to sell them and libertarians have bought into it and it's got to end. We've got to reject Pratt and copyright. Root and branch, completely immoral, completely unlibertarian, completely unnecessary. They should not be reformed. They should not be phased out. They should be abolished tomorrow. So, end of diatribe. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And uh, uh, if only we could somehow do that. I don't know how we're going to get to that stage, uh, especially with so many people have so much uh, interest in that system. Obviously, a lot of companies own patents and they have all kinds of uh, advantages over other companies. It actually keeps out competition in, in most things, which is a really bad thing for society as a whole. And it really is too bad that, uh, you know, that's, that we have this system. And, and one of the sick things about the system I always found as a businessman is I, I never wanted to patent anything. I never wanted to trademark or copyright anything. I don't have any copyright on anything I write or on this video or anything. But if I didn't do some of those things, like trademark actually, you, a logo you do have, you or do something, have a copyright. You, you uh, it would actually cause me problems because then someone else could go and trademark it, and then I can't use it anymore because they'll come to my house with guns and, and throw me in a cage. Uh, so yeah, the system is just a horrible system, and it's just a, uh, amazing to think about the amount of innovation there would probably be in the world today if we didn't have that system. Uh, we'd be probably all in, in, in flying saucers right now. Uh, you know, just ah. things like, uh, I'm sure every car... We probably wouldn't even have cars at this point. We'd be so advanced, but uh, probably each car would have its own small nuclear reactor in it, just like the, the giant U.S. Navy ships do, and they can run for 20 years without ever having to, to fill up and, and stuff like that. But because of all these laws and regulations and, 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 and what you just brought up about intellectual property and patents and, and all that sort of thing, it really limits uh, our advance in technology and in everything that we do. No, I agree completely, and uh, as I was saying, you actually do have a copyright in your videos. You can't help it. That's one of the problems with copyright is that it's automatic. <laughs> I mean, you can't even get – not only is it automatic, you can't even get rid of it. You can't get rid of the copyright you have in this video right now. Um, so, uh, you know, and I don't – you can't blame businessmen. I mean, look, let's say you're very scrupulous. Jeff Tucker has a post about what he calls scrupulosity, like – attacking companies for working within the existing system like you know by driving on the roads or, or whatever um, I mean what are you gonna do not use the roads because they're public and then you're just gonna die and all your competitors would would you know and so it I don't blame companies for having trademarks you can't blame them for having copyrights because it's not their fault they can't you can't help having copyrights um, I can't even blame them for acquiring patents because if you don't acquire them then you're vulnerable and naked to a lawsuit by a competitor who does have patents, and if you don't have something to sue them back with, then you're screwed. You know, it's like refusing to hire lawyers because they're licensed by the state when you need to hire a lawyer to defend yourself in a lawsuit. 
Um, so just for pure survival and getting along in the real world, you have – I don't know if it's compromise. I don't think it's compromise. I think it's – look, I, I actually don't think companies should sue each other for patents. I think it's immoral to file a lawsuit for patents aggressively, although I don't know how you're going to expect that a, a large publicly owned company is not going to do that. I mean let's, let's take Apple, for example. It's owned by millions of shareholders. The board of directors makes decisions. The executive, the officers make decisions. The uh, you know, um, if if they have a patent and they can sue Samsung for it and it's worth ten billion dollars, what are they supposed to do? Say, well, I am an executive in Apple and I don't personally believe in patents because I'm a libertarian, so I'm not going to use this legal asset to make my shareholders ten billion dollars. Well, I guess you could do that, but you're going to get fired. Or if you don't do it and you're on the board of directors, you might get sued in, der in a derivative action for you know, lack of fulfilling your fiduciary responsibility. So the most ethical people, if, if you say that's an ethical duty, they're just not going to run for – they're not going to be in these jobs. So they're going to be fulfilled by, as Hayek said, the worst. The worst are going to get on top. Um, so I don't think you can expect moral exhortations to keep companies from taking advantage of their legal rights. Me personally, I won't defend a company to aggressively use IP, but I, I'm not the norm. But even I would help companies acquire patents that they could use defensively uh, later on. But on the other hand, you could view patents as like a gun, right? Like Smith & Wesson sells guns. Now, do they know what the buyer is going to use the gun for or the, the buyer that buys it from their buyer? They don't know. The gun can be used for good purposes or, or evil purposes. And just because something has a potentially evil use as well as a good use doesn't mean that it's wrong to manufacture or sell it. I sort of view patents like that now, but except that patents would be totally unnecessary in a patent-free world. They would just – the need would go away. Just like in a crime-free world, a lot of guns would be, be less necessary. So in a sense, the existence of the patent system makes it necessary to, to arm yourself with patents, and then that's going to give rise to the temptation to use them. Just like the existence of crime, private crime I'm talking about, even in a stateless society, gives rise to the incentive to have guns for self-defense. Right in a totally, not want to say pacifist, but in a world of complete human, you know, peace and tranquility, we wouldn't have guns except for hunting. Maybe we wouldn't have them for self-defense. It would be it would be like in the old days when people didn't lock their doors on their houses or their cars because they didn't think anyone was going to bother to break in. So, <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. They uh, they say power <clears throat> corrupts and. Uh, power the state is power and uh, and it's sad how with all these systems how it truly corrupts all of society and, and you just pointed out that even us as business people uh, we don't want to use the system at all but we're forced to do it we're, yeah. we're corrupted by the system to, to go into this very basically evil system that is is holding back uh, humanity um, but I think we're getting a little uh, I, th I believe you have to go pretty soon, and uh, and I don't want to uh, keep you too much longer. Uh, do you have a website or a blog or anything that we can point people to? Yeah, a lot of my uh, my media, my speeches, my articles, well, everything's pretty much on stephankinsella.com, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-Kinsella.com. And I, I, most of my IP-related stuff is also on 
uh, my blog for the Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom, which is C4, the number 4, SIF.org. Great, and uh, thank you very much for everything. It was very enlightening, and uh, I, for one, find it very interesting, all this talk about intellectual property, and, and so it was really great to talk to you personally, and, and uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. I'd love to, Jeff. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you. That's all for Anarchast, your home for anarchy on the Internet. Peace, love, and anarchy.